0: Thank you, Sarah. Uh, folks, keep that passage open, uh, and we 'll have a, a look at it for, for a few moments here just now. All of my life i 've been surprised by God and particularly who He chooses to bring into his family and how He chooses to do that. One of my best friends in school was Hong Kong Chinese. Uh, I got to know him at the start of uh, secondary school at Regent House and I remember thinking to myself as a young guy, well, I'm a Christian, he's not, and and he won't ever be. He's from a different race, uh, an entirely different religion. But this morning, not very far from here, he will be worshipping the living God with his wife and with his children, because this is what God does. A couple of years ago, I got an email from a guy And I thought I recognized that name. And he was keen to meet up. So we met up in in Street uh, across the road there. He was another guy I'd known from school. Um, I would have known him a wee bit in lower secondary school. But by the time we got into upper school, he was going off the rails uh, quite badly uh, by his own admission. He was looking me up because he was a a pastor by now in a church in Newtonards. And he wanted to just connect uh, and remember the journey that God had brought him on uh, and me on over those years. And then there's some of you here this morning. There's some of you I didn't expect to see here. When I first got to know who you were, uh, and I don't mean that in any form as a judgment, it's just about my expectations. I didn't think you were the kind of people who would be gathering here to worship together Jesus Christ. This morning, as we continue this series of studies in the book of Acts, we're going to see that we should expect this. We should expect to be surprised, if that's not an oxymoron, uh, by God in terms of the people he brings into his kingdom. In the Spirit-filled church, you see the gospel is for everyone, Last week, Sam shared with us from chapter 7 about the the stoning of Stephen, uh, the first Christian martyr. But as we read on, we discover that that wasn't an isolated incident of persecution or hardship. So if you have the Bible open in front of you there, chapter 8 begins, verse 1, Luke tells us that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. It sounds like a, a tough time for the church. Although it was a tough time, it was—it might just have been a necessary time, bearing in mind what we know uh, from our reading in the Book of Acts, because it puts these guys back on track. Do you remember what Jesus had said to them? And we noticed it in our first sermon in this whole series. Maybe Paul now would be the time to pop up that slide. Acts chapter one, verse eight. If we have it, there it is. We learned this as a bit of a memory verse back there. We'll leave it up for a second or two to let you remember it. Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's what Jesus said was going to happen and it hadn't happened yet. Everything we have read so far in the first seven chapters of Acts is only happening in Jerusalem. And the guys haven't left town. And maybe they didn't want to. Maybe it was all quite comfortable there. Things were going well. The church was growing. Why would we want to leave any of this and move on? So possibly one of the purposes of this persecution and certainly one of its effects is to move the guys out from Jerusalem into all Judea and Samaria. And that's, that's the territory we're in when we're in chapter 8. We're in this next ripple uh, on the pond, if you like. If we're right about that, if we're right that this is what's happening, then we'd expect that these guys probably would be doing what Jesus said they would do, and that is that they'd be witnessing. Because Jesus said we're going to be his witnesses beyond the city and into Judea and Samaria. Let's have a look. Chapter 8. You'll see that it's full of references to them witnessing. Verse 4. Those who had been persecuted scattered and preached the word wherever they went. Verse 5. We're told about Philip. He went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Verse 12. In that city, people believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. Verse 25 three different words about the ministry of Peter and John. Luke tells us that they testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord and that they returned to Jerusalem preaching. Folks, I could go on and on. Even in this chapter, there are references I haven't touched on to to preaching, proclaiming, witnessing in Jesus' name. So in the Spirit-filled church, there's just a total commitment to talking Proclaiming, preaching, testifying, witnessing about Jesus. Occasionally I'll meet a Christian person who will tell me that they don't like proclamation. They don't like the idea that we have a message to share, that we have to say stuff to people. Uh, They maybe imagine that that's intolerant in a world of competing ideas. They're maybe quite uh, inspired by the idea attributed to St. Francis, Uh, You've maybe heard the quotation, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. We're not sure if St. Francis ever did say that, and the idea has loads of merit. I'm sure you can see that. I mean, who would argue with the idea that our lives as well as our words speak, and that we want to live lives that speak of, of Jesus to the world watching I wonder though what Philip or Peter or John or the apostle Paul I wonder what they would have made of the idea that we shouldn't use words It seems to me that would have confused them They were disciples of a rabbi who had a public teaching ministry spent spent his time teaching people about his life his death and his resurrection his coming kingdom And explaining what all of that would mean. And before he returned to heaven, he told them to to continue the work. Keep teaching. Keep keep teaching people. Be my witnesses. And Acts chapter 8 seems to confirm that that's how they understood it and that that's what they did. They spoke to people about Jesus. So from its birth, the Spirit filled church was totally committed to, to preaching the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how it was then, and that's how it still is now. When God's Spirit's on us, we're glad to try and share about Jesus. You'll see in chapter 8, from verses 9 to 25, a passage that we didn't get a chance to look at, and that I'm not going to be able to deal with this morning, But I'd love you to take a look at it sometime. It's an important passage. Because I think it stands as a stark reminder to us. That we can't use God's spirit. Or serve in his church for our glory. There's quite a harsh uh, warning or judgment that comes from Peter. Peter. When Simon wants, he wants the spirit of God on him, but it's so that he can be important. He wants to buy God's spirit for his own ends. Have a look at that sometime and you'll come to your own conclusions about that. We're going to spend the majority of our time this morning thinking about uh, the, the last part of the chapter, the part which Sarah read for us. Tells of Philip's interaction with an Ethiopian eunuch. So Luke begins by telling us a bit about the guy, verse 27. Tells us that he's an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Sounds like he's a big player. Um, He's a politician, I think, is the the category we'd put him in. In particular, we'd say that he's maybe the chancellor of the exchequer. Uh, He's the George Osborne of first century Ethiopia. And he's a eunuch. He's been castrated. That's part of the story. You see, royalty and people in power in those days often demanded that a man could be castrated before he would have access to the royal household, before he could be trusted. And a man might choose to be castrated in order to further his career, In order to ensure that he would be welcomed right into the center of things, right into those corridors of power. What else does Luke tell us about this guy? He tells us that he'd been to Jerusalem to worship. Doesn't tell us anything about how that trip went. But I I would guess that the early uh, readers of, of Luke's account would have been well placed to imagine that. You see, they knew all about the temple. They knew that right at its center was the Holy of Holies. Separated by a thick curtain from the Holy Place. They knew that nobody was allowed into that Holy Place except a chosen priest on one chosen day of the year. Beyond the Holy Place then, there's another place. There's the Court of the Priests. And as the name suggests, you have to be a priest to get that far. Beyond that then, there's the Court of Israel. Um, which again as the name suggests is for people of Israel but only for the men because beyond the court of Israel is the court of women where Jewish women that's how far the Jewish women can get in this system and beyond the court of the Jewish women is the court of the Gentiles and the bad news for the eunuch is. Even though he's a Gentile, he's a foreigner, and you'd imagine he'd be welcome in the court of the Gentiles. There's a provision in the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 23. No one who has been emasculated or castrated may enter the assembly of God. He wouldn't even have been welcome in the outermost of the courts. It's quite possible and even likely that this Ethiopian who traveled all that way to go and worship the living God got nowhere close uh, to the the worshiping community. He was an outsider uh, and he, he was unwelcome. So that's who this guy is, this Ethiopian eunuch. But there seems to be something about the Jewish God that he can't help be intrigued by. And that that may have been common enough in the ancient world. Tom Wright makes this point in his commentary. He says, when you look at some of the gods of the other nations and the kinds of practices that were often associated with them, you might well see Judaism as a wonderful oasis of clean, calm wisdom. So here he is, and he's been drawn up to Jerusalem to worship. And as we've said, the, the, the trip might have been mostly a failure. But somewhere along the lines, he's managed to get his hand on, on part of the Jewish scriptures. We don't know how much he had. In those days, there were huge scrolls the size of a suitcase probably to have just the book of Isaiah. But he'd got something and he was reading from it. This guy will have been loving what he was reading. reading. He will have been loving it. Let me show you why. Isaiah 56. Would you turn with me to Isaiah 56? I don't know if he had got this far in the story ever before. Um, maybe he was reading the scroll for the very first time, then he won't ever have read this. Maybe he was rereading the scroll and, and knew about the stuff in chapter 56. Page 742. Let me just put you in the context of that passage. Chapter 54, Isaiah has been talking in, in quite the most beautiful terms about a future that lies ahead for God's people. Beautiful. Chapter 55, he offers an invitation. Come, all you who are thirsty. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And then in chapter 56, he extends that invitation And it goes out to the people you don't expect. Look at verse 3. Let no foreigner who's bound himself to the Lord say, Surely the Lord will exclude me from his people. Wow. So the God of Israel is not against foreigners after all. Let's knock down that wall. Bang. No court of the Gentiles and of Israel anymore. You're in. And then we read on. Let not any eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. And the eunuch will love this when he gets a chance to read it. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and who hold fast to my covenant, to them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I'll give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Wow. This guy has just been to Jerusalem. He knows that he's been excluded at every turn from worshipping the God of Israel on the basis of being a foreigner and also on the basis of being a eunuch. And now he's reading this prophecy telling him of a time when foreigners will be welcomed in and when eunuchs will be invited right to the heart of the temple. They'll be at home with God. They're even promised a memorial and a name. What's that all about? And why is that important? Well, it goes right to the heart of one of the deepest longings of any human heart. Because we all want our lives to matter, we all want somebody to remember us when we're gone. And we long that our name will live on. Think about it for a second. For for the eunuch, that is unlikely. He has no wife to, to mourn for him and to remember him. He has no children who will carry his name. Do you see now why... Isaiah's promises are so evocative for this guy. You're an outsider, but you're welcomed in. You're a eunuch, but there's a place for you right in the temple. It's no longer out of bounds for you, and you're going to have a memorial and a name. Your life is going to matter. Isaiah's vision in chapter 56 gives voice to this guy's deepest longings his wildest dreams are are right here. And his question then to Philip, when he points at chapter 53, that he's reading in this scroll, and he's asking, "Who's, who's done this? Who, who, who is this guy that we're reading about? Is it the writer? Is it somebody else? This stuff here, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer, is silenced so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice for who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This stuff, who's it about? Tell me. Philip does what every good preacher always does. Points to Jesus Christ. Turn with me for a second to Isaiah 53. If you've been in uh, 56, you won't have far to go. If, if not, it's page 740. So this is the passage the guys are using in their chariot Bible study. We're told in verse 8 about some mysterious suffering servant cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. Philip makes the connection for the eunuch. He says, this is about Jesus Christ. And he'll have told them how it was that Jesus Christ fulfilled Isaiah's vision in chapter 53. You see, when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, he wasn't just cut by, by the whips that lashed his back, by the spear that pierced his side, by the, the nails that were driven through his wrists. He was cut off, cut off from God. And that's why his, his words on the cross, his agony isn't expressed in physical terms, but in relational ones. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, we're going right to the heart of the gospel here. Let me try and explain it to you. If I'm at the door uh, this morning after the service, and one of you comes and shakes me by the hand and says to me, "Christoph, I hate you and I don't ever want to see you again. That will hurt me. And I'll have to come to terms with that. But if I go home and Claire, my wife of 16 years... And my best friend, if she says to me, Christoph, I hate you, and I don't ever want to see you again, that'll be a different thing altogether. Because the agony of the loss relates to the, the closeness and the depth of the relationship. You see for the Father and the Son who have had an eternity of perfect love together. You see for them to be separated. For the Son voluntarily to be separated from His Father. This is what He did for us. Jesus Christ was cut off so that we could be brought in He became nameless so that we could have a name and be sons and daughters in the family of God. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. And this is what Philip shared that day with that Ethiopian eunuch as the Spirit prompted him. And this is the message the apostles shared as the ripples moved and moved and moved right through the Roman Empire and to the the ends of the known world. And this is our message that we're privileged not only to carry but to share. And let's be willing to be surprised by which people God chooses to reach as we do that I wonder is there anybody here today who feels a little bit more like the Ethiopian eunuch than they do like Philip maybe you feel like you're an outsider from the people of God maybe you feel like for some reason you're, you're still missing out on the blessings that, that God has. All your life you've sensed that there, there may be something there. You see that other people seem to have it, but not you, not yet. You, you, you still think that your deepest dreams haven't yet come true. My friend as we have gathered around God's word here today, I wonder, has his spirit been beside you? Has he taken a place there in the pew right next to where you're sitting and has he spoken to you? And as he said, your search is over. I know the one of whom the prophets speak. I know the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I know the one who welcomes foreigners, who blesses eunuchs, who receives all comers. I know the one who fulfills all our deepest longings. Let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father God, we thank you that the the gospel is this kind of a message. For the unlikely, the least likely, the farthest off The message is that you are welcome if you come in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us each one today to hear your word and to know it for us. If we haven't yet come to you, Lord, let's hear that invitation, that come everyone who is thirsty. Lord, draw us today to Jesus. For those of us who have known your invitation, Lord, help us to, to celebrate your gracious goodness to us. And Lord, give us courage too, to pass it on, to share it with those who, who haven't yet had the joy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.